I can count on one hand the people in my life who are really, truly unbiased guides in my life. Mm, yeah. Like they didn't have an agenda. They truly wanted to help me discover my truth or help me identify what I wanted, what mattered to me. And I think for a lot of us, we just kind of go through the motions, go with the flow, and we begin to value and want what others around us in our environment want. Hey, my parents thought these things were important, so I better think those things are important too. That's healthy, but also at a certain point in life, we have to kind of break away and live life on our own terms and discover what truly matters for us as unique individuals. And I think that's a really neat turning point in people's life. They experience this shift. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Carnivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today, growing your life intentionally. This is episode 69 with special guest Sean Rosensteel, and the topic today is intentional living, strategies and tactics for living life on your own terms. Sean is a master at this as he put together this idea of what he now calls the Intentional Living Academy. He talks about the dangers of wrapping up your identity in the conventional de definition of success, the importance of discovering learning and living your life as a lifelong learner. He also talks about how critical it is to surround yourself with people and advisors who are unbiased. In other words, they're offering your input and guidance based upon supporting you not their own view of the world and what it means to be a success. Sean has created this school-like grading system for every area of your life, and that's all laid out in his book, The School of Intentional Living. So listen in, and you're going to find and leave here with ways that you can start to transform your life experience starting today. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We have Sean Rosensteel with us. He's coming to us from Dallas, Texas. He's the author of a book called The School of Intentional Living. No surprise, we're going to be talking about intentional living today. <laughs> he's also founded the Intentional Living Academy. Uh, he's got a wife, Karen, and three young children. This is the thing I want to share with you. Sean has a passion for helping others, but his backstory is at the age of 28, he found himself bankrupt, and he had been following the conventional wisdom up to that point. Mm. And what I love about that, Sean, is your willingness to share that, but also this is a story that's coming from someone who's not just rode the high waves their whole life. And sometimes I think listeners say, well, that person was blessed on this trajectory. But I think the reality is most of us came back and had some sort of resilience or recovery from those less than the highest waves. So welcome, Sean, and welcome to a conversation about intentional living. Hey, yeah. thank you, Jeff. Thank Glad you. To have you. Good to be here with you guys today. So I gave you a, I gave a thumbnail, Sean. Give our listeners a little bit of the Sean Rosenstill story. Sure. So 
for me, well, you, you mentioned it, right? So I experienced a bankruptcy in my late 20s. And leading up until that moment, my entire identity was wrapped up in this idea of conventional success. So hmm. my material possessions defined me. Um, oh, wow. Fancy home, fast cars, fun toys, status, keeping up with everything else. I think I grew up with this idea of conventional success and I really pursued it throughout my late teenage years, early mid 20s, even late 20s. So when I went bankrupt, I really felt that my entire identity was stripped away. Hmm. And I wow. think a lot of us are experiencing similar things right now with this pandemic. I mean, many of us have, have lost loved ones. Many of us have lost our jobs. Many of us have, you know, our businesses have taken a toll, right? Many of us just simply lose like the familiarity and the comfort and convenience of our daily routines. So back then, for me, it was a big wake-up call that sort of forced me to pause and reflect back on some of the choices I had made leading up to that pivotal moment in my life. And what I recognized was that financial bankruptcy was the least of my concerns. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> that you came to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, physically bankrupt, mentally, emotionally bankrupt, spiritually wow. bankrupt. Even my relationships at that stage in life were, were somewhat bankrupt. Wow. Um, so it was a really a, a time for me to reset. And, and luckily, bankruptcy gives us the privilege of resetting the financial column <laughs> in our <laughs> lives. Right. But you can't press the reset button for some of the other columns in your life that matter yeah. most, right? Especially not relationships. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I decided to make a change. I had a really great conversation with my parents who, who gave me some guidance that they had given me a hundred times. <laughs> And, and I was, I had the readiness, like, I think I was finally oh, yeah. in enough pain and I was finally so lost mm. that I had no other choice, but to accept this guidance, truly embrace it and move forward. And I discovered personal development and I began to, you know, very sequentially and in the right order, make improvements to the areas of my life that, that I needed to begin focusing on because I had been complacent. I'd been very focused in my business. Mm -hmm. very focused on my career, very focused on hitting a goal of being a millionaire by a certain age, led to some very careless, negligent decisions. And eventually they caught up with me. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, my health was suffering. My mental, emotional state was in ruin and my relationships were really struggling at that point. So I think I just discovered learning again. And I don't have a very positive association with school. You know, back in school, I was a C <laughs> average student at best, and I'm being very generous with myself. I was not so good of a student, and I was just putting in my time, going through the motions, hoping to get out. And I took that same mindset with me into the real world mm. beyond school and made some very C, C average decisions uh, for my life. Um, so I began learning, learning again. And what I was really excited about was the things I was learning were actually relatable to me. They were relevant for me. I could apply some of the things in my own life that I was learning and actually experience the results. So I kind of mm -hmm. traded a handful of addictions for this one addiction I would call progress, right? Or, or, or <laughs> growth or improvement. And that really changed everything for me. Wow. So, Sean, I'm really fascinated. You talk, use the phrase conventional wisdom. And I'm curious because, I mean, you hit this spot where you chose, 
mean, the bankruptcy allowed you to do the reset, but that was a legal reset. It was a financial reset. But you made a choice to reset the rest of your life and choose different wisdom. And I'm curious, up until that point, did you feel like you had conflicting wisdom or was all the wisdom you had been fed was what we're labeling conventional? You know, go make money, have all the stuff, have the cool stuff, the big stuff. What had informed you up to that point? A good question. Back then, I don't think I've had conflicting wisdom. I think I've had to deal with conflict, conflicting wisdom over the last 10 years. But for me, it was more of like the conventional wisdom as far as you go to school, you get good grades, you graduate at some level, whether that's you know high school, GED or MBA, whatever that level is for you. And then you go out into the real world, you know, you work 40, 50, 60 hours, you either get, or, get a job or you start a business, but you work. Some of us settle down and, you know, the hope is one day we'll experience this cozy retirement. <laughs> well, I don't know if we've been paying any attention to the stats, but, but that's not happening too often. That is no longer, you know, the rule. It's the exception. Yeah. So, and I think what I found was that for me, the key to a successful life for me personal, and I think, I, I, I think we all need to define what success means to each and every one of us because it's different. But conventionally speaking, for me, you know, that definition of success didn't work out too well. You know, I, I went for it and it didn't work out too well. And I, and I feel like I lost everything due to that, you know, blind ambition, that blind pursuit of what I would call conventional success. And what I've come to realize is that, you know, we, we all move from these different stages in life. Of course, we have different seasons in between. But if you look at life as the morning, afternoon, and the evening of your life as the great Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung talks about in the stages of life, I recognize the fact that I was living the afternoon of my life with the same playbook I used in my life's morning. (laughs) That's a good way of putting it. And and that's where the conflict came in. You know, the, the template became obsolete. This conventional template for me became obsolete. It was no longer, not only no no longer enough, but it also conflicted with my values because I think our values and our priorities change over time. And when I experienced that shift in my late 20s, my values shifted with it. Hmm. I began to value certain things like relationships and connection and, and, and growth and contribution over financial gain. And so my values shifted along with it. And all of a sudden I needed to run a new playbook. I needed to (laughs) you know, operate up from a new template in the afternoon of my life to support some of my, some of my new priorities and my new values. I think it's interesting. I, when, when we're growing up, we're, we're used to our surroundings and what we have and what our parents have provided for us. And then we step out into the real world. And for me, I thought, hey, I have to have everything that my parents had. Without thinking, you know, they... They took 30, 40 years to get what they had. And I shouldn't just start off right off the bat. So immediately in debt and all these things. And, you know, then I started realizing, wow, wait a minute, hold on. You know, I'm, I'm going the wrong path. And, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not always fun. But I love what you're talking about, different playbooks at different stages of life. And yeah, we need. And so I guess intentionality comes into that. <laughs> I think so, because I was never taught to. I mean, I can count on one hand the people in my life who are really, truly unbiased guides in my life. Mm, Yeah. Like they didn't have an agenda. 
they truly wanted to help me discover my truth, right? Help me identify what I wanted, what mattered to me. And I think for a lot of us, we just kind of go through the motions, go with the flow, and we begin to value and want what others around us in our environment want. Hey, my parents thought these things were important, so I better think those things are important too. Well, and that's to a certain what, degree, that's healthy. Yeah. But also at a certain point in life, we have to kind of break away and live life on our own terms and discover what truly matters for us as unique individuals. Yeah. And I think that's a really neat turning point in people's life. They experience this shift. And one of my favorite books of all time, and I'm probably uh, moving too fast here, but one of my favorite books of all time is The Shift by Wayne Dyer, who's been a huge mentor in my life for many years. And he talks about how, you know, we're, we're, we're born and raised um, with this idea of achievement in mind. And it's like achievement for achievement's sake. From the time we're very little, people start to cheer us on when we crawl for the first time, when we walk, and we think it's all about achievement. <laughs> At a certain point in time, we make this U-turn, we make this shift in our life, and we seek out more meaning and more depth and more purpose. And it's not that we lose the ambition, but now we have this ambition with meaning to yeah. fuel it, right? I think it's interesting that you talked about, you know, it's, it's what, you know, what our parents believe, that's what we believe and, and the people that we're around. And Jeff and I have talked about this several times on the podcast, but it's, you know, those, those five people that are around us. And those, those are the people that influence us to either achieve more or achieve less. Uh, and we talk about achievement, but I would say achievement on any spectrum. So if I'm around people like Jeff who highly value relationships, well, that's probably gonna be a piece that I'm gonna pick up in there. Um, the other side is Jeff is our, his title is Chief Shift Officer of Cartavera. <laughs> I love that. And I wanna go back to that because I think there's something you said a few times, Sean, that I'm not, I'm gonna just say it directly. I think you said a few things that you don't actually believe. So I'm going to check you in with you on uh -oh. that. Here you comes the that, coaching, Sean. <laughs> well, because what you said was this thing happened in your life and this bankruptcy and all this thing. And you said several times, I had to shift. I had to find a new playbook. And the words I kept hearing was had to. And, and I don't believe that. I think those are choices you make. And maybe that's what you, might be, you mean by being intentional because mm. lots of people go through those things and they don't shift. Right. Their direction changes, but they didn't choose, make conscious choices about that new playbook or those new values. And so I, I want to point that out because I think some of the listeners sometimes think, well, oh, so if I, if I went through that, I might have made this shift, but I didn't go through that, so I don't get the shift. So I wanted you to speak to the intentionality of those choices you make about changing your perspective. I, I love that. And I appreciate mm -hmm. you checking me on that. So let me clarify. Can I respond or is this more like? Oh, the no. oh yeah. No, bring it on. <laughs> All right. So I love what you're saying. But here's the thing here. Here's, I think, a misconception about when people say, well, no, you can choose this. Well, that's a choice. For some of us, it's unconscious. Yep. If it's unconscious, we don't recognize the ability to make that choice. So ooh, ooh, that's let me, such a good point. Yeah. So let me clarify when I say I had to make that shift. I think that necessity is such a powerful thing and such an important thing because so many of us are sitting on, you know, we're, we're like in a little bit of pain, but we're not so much in pain that we, there's a story of a dog. Let me just tell you this. There's a story of the owner of the house and the dog. Neighbor comes up 
says hi to the owner and asks him why his dog is sitting there whimpering. And the owner of the house says, well, he's sitting on a nail. The neighbor said, well, why doesn't he get up and move to a different spot? And he said, well, he's just not in enough pain. <laughs> he's comfortable just enough to stay put. Yep. So I think for many of us, we need to, I'm going to call it artificial necessity. Like we need to fabricate and envision this artificial necessity sometimes for us to make a change. So Jeff, back to your point, when I said I had to, up until then, I was living for me. I was living from a place and what's, what's in this life for me versus a place of how may I serve, mm, yeah. right? And yes. when I went bankrupt, it was just one month. It was exactly 30 days before my wedding date. Wow. So here I went bankrupt. I had this fiance whose dream was to become a stay-at-home mom. And she's talking to me about someday raising a family and I'm sitting here saying, how in the world am I going to ever take responsibility for another human being, let alone the future children that this crazy woman's talking about, right? If I can't even be responsible for myself. So that, that awareness for me brought some necessity into my life that, hey, the world doesn't revolve around me. And maybe it's time I need to make some changes because there are more people involved in my life than I had been privy to before. The other thing was that my parents lo loaned me some money shortly after school. After I filed bankruptcy, I started thinking about the consequences of it. And I realized that I had included the money they had lent to me in the bankruptcy. So what this means, what this meant was wow. that in a few weeks or a few months, I mean, we know the government can be slow at times, but whenever the paperwork comes out, my poor mother's going to walk to the mailbox and get a letter from the government explaining that her son had flushed the money down the toilet that they had lent, that she and my father had lent. Wow. So I knew I owed, the, I, I owed them a phone call. It was the very least I can do. And when I delivered the news, after a long silence, my dad said, Sean, no one is responsible for you but you. And then my mom said, I think it's time to find a quiet place and figure things out for yourself. And that was the guidance for me. Yeah. It was no longer, you know, it, it was a choice, but I had so much necessity. I felt in those moments like the biggest failure of my life. I was yeah. stripped to what I thought was nothing. All the things I valued were gone. And I felt like a failure. And what I recognized kind of holding my position in that moment and truly embracing those feelings, I recognize that I never want to be here ever, ever, mm -hmm. ever again in my life. I never want to experience this level of failure again. And I did have two choices. I could keep going through the motions and doing the same things I had always done, or I could shift. So I love what you said, but I'm saying I, I had to make a change because I had the awareness that my life was impacting other people in a very negative way and that I was about to be responsible for another human being, which was a lot of pressure for me. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, a, I think when you talk about the, the whole issue of not everybody can make that choice, you know, it, I, I always think everybody always has a choice, right? That's, that's kind of my normal stance. If you ask my kids, they would say, you never, you, you always think there's a choice dad, <laughs> right? Because they've heard it so many times. You always have a choice. And when we look at that, though, 
you're right. It's not everybody does in the sense that you have to be the kind of person who is able to make that choice. And so it's like Zig Ziglar says, you have to be before you can do and do before you can have. If you're not the kind of person who makes that. Well, I guess I get to be the contrarian here because I think everybody always has a choice. No, no, I agree. Well, but you said it's not always true. Well, so what I'm, yes, everybody has a choice. They don't always think that they have a choice. Well, absolutely. Well, that's the problem. They don't, and they think they're victims. Uh, we live in a victimful, I mean, I don't use that word a lot because so, pe- so many people are offended by it. But my reality <laughs> is that anybody, we live in a world of victims. Yeah. If anybody's talking about anything but what they can do differently, that's a state of victimhood. It may not be the whining form that we're used to. So most people think, oh, well, I'm not a victim because I'm not doing the eh, eh. But, and I think that, like you said, yeah, it's hard to make those choices. And there's so many people, Sean, who have been in situations the same or similar to you who made very different choices. Yeah. You know, we live, we're the United States. We're in the most medicated country in the world. That's the, you know, most people, frankly, the majority of people choose to medicate even further and to not take responsibility and to look at the reality of the lives they're impacting and maybe destroying and say, wow, that's tough, but I got to take care of me. Mm. So I think it's important for, I guess what I'm saying is I want to honor that you made those choices. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you had this decision point and said, I'm going to go that way instead of continuing this way. And, and you continue to do that. And I think it's funny. I'll just add this last thought and then throw it back to you. I just did a little video. I think it was today, actually, on the growth mindset about, I think it was yesterday. Everybody, almost everybody says they have a growth mindset. But my experience is very few actually do. It just sounds good. But it's hard. Having a growth mindset is the hard road. It's the uncomfortable road. It's often the painful road. And the other road's kind of comfortable. But I guess I'm really curious, Sean, speak some more to, because one of the things we want our listeners to have here is the stories are incredible and and people connect to the stories. And that's, that's how we form the connection where people say, wow, I'm, he's relatable and he's authentic and he's vulnerable, but speak more to how you've made these adjustments, because that's what, you know, ultimately people need to have a little bit of help with the how. Sure. Yeah. So from, you know, a tactical standpoint, and we can get a little bit into the book because I think this, you know, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book that I wrote. But the School of Intentional Living, as much as this was painful for me to do, I used the metaphor of school in the book because what I realized after procrastinating this book for so many years, I was trapped. I was trying to find an entry point into this topic of intentional living. I think it's a broad topic. It means a lot of different things to a lot of people, different people. There's some misconceptions, I think, that exist about intentional living. I was trying to find the sweet spot, like what's the entry point? And I had this idea at the end of last year that, gosh, the lessons that I have deployed in my own life and some of the strategies and the tactics and the way I live my life today was, was heavily influenced by the formal education system. Yeah. And I get a little bit of throw up in my throat every time I say indoctrination. That. <laughs> right. Because because I didn't, you know, I don't look fondly upon those experiences. It was a very awkward, very confusing, very troubled time in my life when I went through school. So 
but 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 that's the truth. And I wanted to write a book that was very approachable, very relatable to many people, and very relevant, I think, for especially for these times. So back to your question, I think for us to it's all about awareness. I mean, we we, we talked about how powerful this thing called awareness can be. Abraham Maslow, who I believe was one of the greatest psychologists of all time, American psychologist, incredible person. He said, what is necessary to change a person is to change his awareness of himself. So for me, if I'm going Mach 10 with my hair on fire in this certain direction, I may not pull up quickly enough to recognize some of the mistakes I'm, I'm making along the way, right? So many of us like go all in with our career and then we wake up at 55, 60 years old and we realize, wow, my, you know, I compromised everything for my family or I compromised everything and now I have this health issue that's very difficult to overcome. So I didn't wanna, I did that in my 20s and I didn't wanna blindly move in a direction for too long without you know, pulling over and checking the gauges, so to speak. So let me ask on, on the checking the gauges, did you ever seek professional help in those particular areas, professional or unprofessional? It's, it's a matter of, did you get a, outside perspective on those different factors? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've probably tapped into all the help you can find. I, I, okay. I've been to therapy. Um, I've been to, you know, I, I've hired coaches. Mm-hmm. I've been a part of masterminds. I read a book a week. I'm an avid reader. I've taken hundreds of online courses, you know, like you, you name it. And I've probably done that modality of learning or that mm-hmm. modality of help. So I'm a huge fan of outside perspective. That's so important. But where my book starts is it talks about subject areas. It's the first chapter in the book and how back in school, we had different subject areas we were responsible for, right? Right. And, and it, you know, if we, if, let's say we had six subject areas. If we did well in five, but flunked one, we wouldn't progress to the next grade. Or if we just did well in one, but we, you know, neglected all the other five, we wouldn't progress. Either way, it's the same net effect. So in the real world, we have life areas. Mm. We have our health. We have our wealth. We have our relationships and we have sub areas and we're all different. So in our health, maybe you, Craig, maybe you have your spiritual or your religious health. Maybe you have your mental or emotional health. Maybe you have physical health. You know, relationships, some of us have partners, significant others, girlfriends, boyfriends, wives, spouses. We have aging parents. We have children. We have communities we're involved in, association, you know. So yeah. it's different for all of us. And what's neat is as we progress through the grades, eventually we got to decide what subject areas we would study. Maybe right. we wanted to do a workshop in high school when we were juniors or seniors and that interested <laughs> us. So what's neat is it's on us. We get to decide. But at a very high level, I would say to start someone out, it's health, wealth, relationships, and not in that particular order. Yeah. But those are the three primary areas. And then from there, we discover some of those sub areas. Well, the second chapter is all about progress reports. So back in school, <laughs> we had progress reports. I hated that time because they would send my grades home to my parents and I'd get grounded. Right. But, but what did those progress reports do? They helped us course correct before it was report card time. Right. It gave us an awareness of how well we were doing throughout the grade, semester, year, whatever it was so that we could make the necessary adjustments so that it, we didn't get to the end of the you know, time when the report cards were issued and it was too late. I have a so, new perspective on that with my wife being a, a high school teacher. And you know, she had 
several students that were failing because you know COVID has not been kind to the kids. And so she went and she gave the report to the parents and to the student and some of the students actually responded and some did not. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You got a yeah, choice. So, so, so tactically, Jeff, to answer your question, tactically, I run a progress report every week. Hmm. I have my areas of life that matter to me that I want to pay attention to and continually improve over time. And then every week, I run a little progress report. And what I don't do, because I got into this trap many, many years ago, because I've taken a lot of personal development uh, programs and I've used a lot of frameworks and most of them are amazing. But one of the things that I didn't like is that they would ask me to score numerically one through 10, how well am I doing in this area? Hmm. What I found after months was like, I'd put a seven and I felt great about it. But then I would just sit there on that seven and I'm like, you know, if I translated that into a letter grade, like the kind of grades we use in school, <laughs> that's a 70%. Yeah. So, so that's a C. Yeah. So what I would recommend people do, and again, this is in the book, is grade the areas of your life that matter most to you with letter grades. Because what you'll find, I mean, if you think, if you translate a C, what does that mean? What a great idea. Yeah. A C means average. Yep, just okay. And who wants okay. to be average? And I don't know about you, yeah, but I've come too far. And I've worked too hard for me to be average in certain areas. And then a D is needs improvement. And F is you're struck out. You're done. And what's nice about doing this more frequently versus once a year, like <laughs> New Year's right. resolution, yeah. is when I can be proactive about taking that pulse on a weekly basis, I can get ahead of the curve. I can course correct certain areas where I'm sliding because momentum is a powerful force, regardless of yeah. its polarity, right? So if I pick up some good habits along the way, it's easier for me to keep those going. But just like good habits, bad habits are no different. And if I'm sliding into a C, D, F in a certain area, the longer I sit on that now, the harder it is going to be to reroute that energy in the other direction yeah, and, and, and redirect those bad habits. So it's mm -hmm. just a very proactive way for me to find balance because I can go into certain seasons or quarters or 90 day periods or 30 day periods and I'll go out of balance intentionally. I'll say, okay, yeah. this month or this quarter, I'm going to intentionally go out of balance and focus on my business. I'm going all in. That means sacrifice. I'm sacrificing time with my kids. I'm sacrificing time and mental bandwidth with my wife. I won't get to see my friends as often. My exercise routines may suffer. My you know, eating, uh, habits may suffer. And I'll talk this over with my wife and I'll get her blessing and I'll get her approval. I'll get her permission so that we're bought in and we can say, right. you know, times are tough right now, but this was the quarter. We made this very conscious decision to go a little out of balance and we're going to course correct the next quarter or whatever it might be. So I love this idea of the one thing. I really do. Yeah. It's a but great book. For me, the issue is if I have this one thing and I have it for the next 40 years, I may wake up one day and realize I missed out on life. Yep. That scares me to death. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. 
we blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cardavera.com. Welcome back. So, Sean, I want to ask you, you started off by saying something that really got my attention, as Craig probably knows it would. You're talking about Abraham, Abraham Maslow, or Maslow, and you're talking about, it's about awareness. I'm all in on that. And what I have found for myself and then with friends and with clients is two, two challenges. Well, actually, now there's three that hit fit me. One is there's a lot of resistance to becoming aware. And some of it's unconscious of saying, because people say, I really want to be more aware, but there's unconscious resistance. Like they really don't want to know. And I know that because my friends and clients typically, I tell people, you know, I know I'm doing well when my clients or friends swear at me because, <laughs> and they're mad at me. Like uh, this week, this week on a mentoring call, one of my mentees was like, we got, we we're getting through the call. He goes, damn it, Jeff. And I said, what? Because I didn't really want to see that. I didn't want to see that because now it's hard to turn it off. So I think there's a resistance to awareness. Ignorance is baby, right? Yeah. Number about two the blue pill is or the red I, pill. Right. Well, number two is I think we can fall in love with awareness too. And we can do a lot of, we can, <laughs> we can identify the awareness. Oh, I do that there. I did it again, but I don't really change my behavior. So you, so it becomes your identity. It just becomes, well, in some ways it's, it's really actually ego driven to say, man, I'm really super aware. And like, you'll, like, you'll yell at your <laughs> wife, you yell at your wife and you get, you rage at her and, you, and then you go, oh, honey, you know what? I just did it again, man. I just realized I just made, I just projected your mom onto you. And that's what my mom used to say. And man, I feel great. Cause now I know what's happening, but I keep doing it all the time. She's like, yeah, you're still sleeping on the couch. She's yeah, exactly. yeah. So there's this that awareness we, and snuggle on the couch with that. Yeah. So how do we get through that resistance? Number one. And, and what do you see in terms of that risk of falling in love with our awareness, but I don't really change anything. Sure. Yeah, it's a great point, Jeff. I, you know, for me, awareness means nothing without action. You know, it's just like Napoleon Hill talks about, right? Knowledge is only potential power. Yeah. Doesn't mean anything. And there's a big difference between an intellectual understanding and an experiential understanding. N knowledge is learned through applied, you know, through action, right? You have to mm -hmm. apply that knowledge if you want it to be truly powerful. So I'm with you there. I, but I do think awareness is an important first step. I think awareness is an important first step because otherwise we're unconscious. And I do think that you have to have the courage to move forward and take that small next step. And I don't know what that looks like. It's probably different on a case by case basis. Maybe beyond awareness for some people is just acceptance. Acceptance that they've been doing this thing or behaving this way or, you know, taking these actions for so many years, maybe it's well, not the first, first step of the 12 steps to I'm recognize not. what's that you have a problem. Maybe. Yeah. And then to accept it and kind of practice self-forgiveness, not beat yourself up over it for years to come. Wow. Yes. So maybe it's acceptance. Maybe another step is to take some accountability, but eventually you have to get to a point where you're, in, in motion. Eventually you have to get to the point where you're taking action because I believe that's what makes that awareness so valuable, but awareness on its own 
it, it may it's, not be worth much. It's right? funny how you, you, you go back to the education system and so many of the things you're sharing to me resonate around children. Like as a parent, my, my parent, my, not my parents, my kids are grown adults now, 30 and 27. But I think back to how many times I would say something to them and they would say, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and it would infuriate me because I said, yeah. I know, you know, you've heard it 37 times, but you're not doing anything different. So I don't really care that, you know, and now I fast forward to an adult and my self-talk of Jeff, who cares that, you know, are you changing action because of it? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think there's a big, I think it's important for us to have an awareness around an intellectual knowing and an experiential knowing. And, you know, half of it is just learning and getting that intellectual knowledge of something. But the other half, maybe a little more is doing it, is taking the action. You know, I get stuck with this clarity loop. I really enjoy having clarity. I value clarity very highly because I want to know what's going on. I want to know what the next steps look like. But you can get stuck with that if all you're doing is reading books or thinking or in deep, quiet meditation for years. It's like that will only get you so far. But real clarity in my experience now is, is earned through action. Like there's no better teacher, in my opinion, and in my experience than taking that massive action, that next step and just having the courage to, to do it. And even if it means going a tad bit outside your comfort zone. Like I've found that that's where all the growth happens. Like I'm right. happiest. You got to go out of your comfort zone. But I'm just a tiny bit out, not way out here, but just a, you know, just a small sliver outside of where I'm comfortable. And what's neat is, as we know, that expands over time. So Sean, you used an interesting phrase there. I want to ask you about it. You said it's important to take massive action. But then I heard you say, well, at least go somewhat out of your comfort zone. And I think some people think that real change always requires massive action. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what that, what action has to be to start getting on that journey. I think massive action can be one tiny little step for someone. <laughs> I mean, if I haven't taken action on something I've been aware of, like, for example, I used to be severely addicted to tobacco, hmm. like ran my life, used it to numb my nerves, used it to escape boredom, used it to build confidence in social settings. Like I, that was everything. So for me, massive action was going without tobacco for one hour mm. because for 15 plus years of my life, that, that, was an, uh, that was unknown territory and it was very scary. Wow. So in that regard, taking massive action required an hour of my sobriety or whatever you call that, right? So, but I like, I like what you said. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, clear the schedule and go do something for 90 days and go nuts and go crazy and not, you know, not use your discretion. But for many of us, massive action is just that tiny little next step. Well, it comes know? back to your change muscles, right? If you've been exercising them, then you can take a bigger step. If you haven't been, then, you know, a step is better than no step. Well, yeah. I think we love to set ourselves up. My experience and a lot of my <laughs> clients, they love to set themselves up. And I, I remember one example, I was sitting with a client and he really opened up. I didn't know where he would go, but I asked him a couple questions and he fully acknowledged to me the first time to anyone, he said, I've, I've got a drinking problem. Wow. And I said, wow, wow, good for you. Good for you. He goes, you probably thought that. I said, actually, I didn't think that. I knew you were struggling. So 
I don't, I really genuinely didn't have an opinion, but he said, I have a drinking problem. And I said, what do you want to do about it? He goes, I really want to stop. I said, well, what do you think that looks like? He said, I'm done. I said, what do you mean you're done? He said, I'm going to stop drinking. I said, well, for how long? He said, forever. I said, hang on. Yeah, that sounds great. I get it. And you might be able to do it, but it's 99.9% chance you won't. And then you're going to feel like you failed. How about if we just make some adjustments to start? Let's do something small. You know, go a day. If you drink every night, just set some goals. And he goes, no, no, I'm an all-in guy. Well, you know, great. Let's see how this goes. And of course, it lasted about 48 hours. And he ends up coming back. Well, I did pretty good. I said, I understand. And I'm glad you're not beating yourself up. But do you get that you don't have to dive in? That's not doesn't make you a better person, a better husband, because you made this big goal that really wasn't realistic. Mm. Yeah, well, that that's a learning experience. I mean, I, I've been down that path myself, and I, I too am. You know, I, I like I'm a full measure. That's what I call it. Like if I'm going to do something, I'm going <laughs> all out. I'm going full measure. And what I've come to appreciate. Because I used to say I have an addictive personality, but that was always like a woe is me. I've got this problem that I don't know if I can solve or I've got a disease. You know, there's a lot of disease mentality and things like that out there. And I think that's fine for some people. That's very empowering. I never found it. I found it more disempowering for me than anything else. I found it limiting and immobilizing. But for me, this full measure thing, I've been able to redirect that full measure attitude into my relationships. I've been able to redirect that into my business. Like when I published the book earlier this year, like I've never written a book before. You know, I've, I'm self-published. I've never, I, this is new territory for me. But if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take the effort to do this, I'm going all in. And so I want to learn everything I can about writing and, and get the right editor. And I want to do the design portion properly whatever it takes. I want to make sure I learn book marketing and whatever it takes. And I want to make sure it publishes properly. And so I want to go all in and I want to take a full measure approach. And I'm very uh, appreciative of how I could redirect that all in attitude um, because the book actually did pretty well when it published in July. But I like that. I like people who are like, hey, I'm all in. I'm a, you know, just go get it kind of a person. It's like, great. But what vehicles are you driving with that attitude? Because if it's the wrong vehicle, like drinking, it can get you into a lot of trouble. But if it's the right vehicle, like loving your spouse, loving your children, you know, being there for aging parents, if it's the right vehicle, like the charitable causes you're involved in, or your business that may or may not be making a difference out there in the world, I mean, when you can take that mindset, that attitude and apply it to the right vehicles, it's a very beautiful thing. So, Sean, I'd like to find out, you, you talked about from a couple of things from the book. You talked about the importance, importance of awareness, and you talked about this learning piece. You talked about the progress reports. So what are some of the other key elements of what you're calling intentional living that would help our listeners and their journeys? Hmm. Yeah, the book's tactical. So for people looking for like that how-to, the book has 12 chapters. It's a short book. It will literally hold your hand each step of the way. It's got some free downloadable resources and video tutorials. So that was really a how-to sort of a thing. But from, a, 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 are you looking from like more of a high-level perspective? 
Yeah, I'm just wondering, are there, uh, you gave us some nuggets from the book around the importance of awareness and progress reports. Is there any other nuggets that, that make sense to share with our listeners to give them even more in, uh, more learning and also more draw to what the book might add for sure. them? Yeah, so we can stay at a tactical level if you'd like. So we talked about the first two chapters, right? Discovering what truly matters most and identifying the areas of life that matter to each and every one of us, and we're all different. And then doing an assessment, objectively assessing how well you're doing right now, right? With that idea of progress reports. Well, the next chapter is all about homework. And of course, we all hated homework back in school, but homework served such an important purpose. A couple of them. Number one is it gave us a chance to appreciate the, 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 the value of a deadline, of a due date, right? It gave us a chance to practice and, and, and learn about discipline and scheduling and time management. I think most importantly, though, homework gave us a chance to improve our grades. So as it relates back to the grades we assign for our areas of life, in the real world, I translate homework into my priorities. Like we're mature adults now, so we don't necessarily have homework, but we do have priorities. And those priorities, when focused on, can directly impact in a very positive way the grades we have. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, we don't have our priorities straight. I don't have my priorities straight. <laughs> Many days of the week, I'm just shooting at everything in the bushes that moves, like we talked about before the call. So we got to get our priorities straight. You know, we have to learn how to identify. We might have 100 things on our to-do list, but what's the one thing that's going to move the needle the most today? So you know, one like, question I have about the progress report, how important is it, Sean, to get some outside perspective, whether it's objective, like you said, measure, maybe I'm measuring my weight, that's a, that you can't hide from that measure, but relationally getting input from those people that you're in relationship with. So you're not just self-assessing, let have them give you feedback on your progress. I love that. Yeah, I, I love that idea. And I don't talk about it in the book, but I will share that my wife and I have used this approach together with our family, with our marriage, with our household. I mean, it's interesting, but I always liken, I've been doing business coaching for many years and I always liken someone's business to their household. It's like, what's the difference? You have partners at the top, leaders and managers. You have people beneath you. Well, the difference is you can't fire your kids, I suppose. <laughs> but, but you have, you're stuck with them, right? You disown them. Yeah, they can't be furloughed. But you have, <laughs> you have core values. You have values. Yeah, that family absolutely. values you're looking to instill in these children. And you've got these values to guide your behavior so that you can role model the way and be consistent with it. Yep. You have a budget financials, you have revenue goals, you have income expenses. It's like, what's the difference, right? So we've used some of these tools that are in the book to support our marriage, our family, our household, mm. so that we are not, so that we are very intentional with the, the, the vision for our family. Yeah. So I love what you said, because we, on occasion, we do do that. You know, we'll be like, hey, you know, let's, uh, now that's dangerous territory. You got to be in mm. the right frame of mind and it needs to be the right time to do a, uh, an exercise, a fire drill like that, right? Especially with your spouse. Yeah. Especially well, with your I was in, I guess for about a year and a half, I was in a, an accountability group with some other guys in the church and, you know, we would come in and, you know, I had this fancy spreadsheet. It would create all these great 
you know, spider diagrams and all this good stuff. And, and we come in and to your point, I never thought about it as an, an, an alphabetic grade. I was always, okay, all right, it's a seven. I'm doing okay. You know, yeah, I can improve, but never thought about it as far as, yeah, that's just a C. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, there's a misconception. So in, in the second chapter, when I talk about this, what's neat is when you lo- use letter grades, you can actually calculate the GPA of your life, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a really fun experiment. Wow. And, and the misconception is like, I'm trying to get straight A's and I'm, t- I, I want to be a four point, maybe in school that flew just fine. <laughs> I was just trying to hold like a D plus average in school. But for some people, they were striving for perfection. Yeah. And the danger of this idea of the GPA of your life is, look, it's not about perfection. It's about awareness. That's all it's about. Like, will you reach for, that's utopia. It probably never exists. There's too many things outside of our direct control yeah. for us to feel like we got straight A's in every area. Hey, here's a little side, sidebar. What does Cartavera mean? So it's actually a, a term that we made up. Um, C- Cardi, C-A-R-D-I means heart and V-E-R is truth. So heart mm. of truth. Cool. Well, now I don't feel so stupid for not knowing what that means. <laughs> no, heart of truth. <laughs> and I'm off the hook. Thank you. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. Sean, this, is, this has really been wonderful and somewhat unexpected. And I love when we, take, uh, we go down a road that uh, I get a chance to learn something new and experience something new. And I certainly had that today, and I know our listeners will as well. I want to make sure we talked a lot about the book, but you know, is there anything in particular? Tell us about where people can get the book, and is there anything in particular you want to promote right now? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, first and foremost, I appreciate the opportunities, uh, Jeff and Craig. This has been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. And it has gone and, and taken some unexpected turns, which is always a good time, right? That's the magic. So, yeah, you can get the book anywhere books are sold. If you get the book from my website, which is Sean Rosenstiel, right? Uh, SeanRosenstiel.com. Hopefully that's in the show notes. I don't want to waste time spelling that. It will but, be. It will um, be. You can actually get a free signed paperback. All you have to do is pay a small fee for shipping and handling. That comes with like a, an instant bonus PDF, some bonus training and some other you know, neat resources for you. Um, so you can get it Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you want to shop for a book or my website if you want a couple bonuses and a signed copy. Fantastic, Sean. And you mentioned your website, but what's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Sure. Yeah. So Facebook's a good place. LinkedIn's a good place. Uh, I, I'm, I'm basically everywhere, although I'm not so active on certain social sites. But uh, I think you can find me basically on any one of the major platforms. And if you send me a message, I'll certainly respond. Also, I want to say that every month I run an intentional living challenge. It's about five days. And uh, that's just just been a ton of fun in recent months. And it really goes a lot deeper um, than the book. It also provides, it goes very high level and provides some good, you know, mindsets and habits around uh, what it means to, to, to live an intentional life. So if anyone is interested in engaging a little deeper than just reading the book, um, my website also has all that information about my upcoming challenge in November. Awesome. We'll make sure all all that is there. And we always wrap with one of our signature questions. And Sean, my question for you is, I want you to share with us about leadership role models. Mm. Who who is a person that was that for you? And what made them a significant role model for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I have so many to list. We don't have time, but 
after today's discussion, the person who comes to mind is the great Stephen Covey. And one of the reasons that I appreciate him and his work and his legacy is because he was the kind of person that I believe experienced success in most every area of his life. He found a way to balance it. If I'm not mistaken, he had like six, seven, eight, nine, a lot of children. And he was married for, I believe, 40, 50 plus years. And he really valued family and made time for his wife and his children, while at the same time, as we all know, making an unbelievable impact in the business you know, segment. Unlike a lot of other people who we hear about who are business moguls and you know, their families in shambles or their health right. is in shambles. So I just really appreciated his ability to be in that constant state of balancing. He was very good in his words of, as far as sharpening the saw, right? Yeah. Um, so I've always looked up to and, and valued everything that Stephen Covey has done for, for all of us. And he's one of those very um, in alignment or very congruent teachers and mentors in my life, because I think he truly did practice what he preached and the results of his life speak to that. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've had Stephen Covey um, brought up. What's interesting about that is we, we are here in Raleigh, North Carolina, and there's a, a, an elementary school called A.B. Combs Elementary. And at A.B. Combs, the principal, uh, Muriel Summers, actually incorporates the seven habits in the school. Wow, is that cool? And so my son got to meet Stephen Covey. He came out and he was in a part of that. And if you read the book, The Eighth Habit, there's a whole chapter on that school. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So it's wow. really neat. So we, we moved intentionally to be in that school system so that, we, so that they could go to that leadership magnet school. And Love it. It was a fantastic school. Still is. That's so neat. That's so neat. What, what a great experience. Yeah. For you, for your son, right? That's so cool. Well, thank you, Sean. Thanks for being with us. And thank you for bringing your wisdom and insight to our Carnivore listeners. Yes. Thank Thanks, guys. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you 
and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.